You are listening to Committed, an ongoing conversation about marriage, intimacy, relationships, and sex. I have a question. Uh, My question would be, and I think everyone can relate to this, uh, if you're in a relationship with someone and at some point... Uh, one person gets, I don't know, triggered or upset about something. And then the other person has to respond to this and potentially gets uh, triggered themselves or even uh, upset or resentful of the other person. Um, and then the other, the first person, you know, gets angrier that the second person isn't responding the way that would make them feel better um, this is what I call the downward spiral. It's just, you've got two people who are together. One incident sets off a, a downward spiral of events that can cause repair, uh, issues to escalate quickly. Um, it can lead to resentment in a relationship. It can lead to a lot of anger and hostility, no sex. It can even lead to divorce. And so I guess my question from this little rant of mine is, what do you recommend people do in a situation where you you enter into a major conflict with a partner, you enter into a downward spiral? Hmm. Well, first things first, what I thought of when you were saying one partner and then the other partner is what my dad used to call my sister and I, which was thing one and thing two. <laughs> <laughs> he called you thing one and thing two? Yeah, he used to say that all the time, which – Came right out of like Dr. Seuss, the movie, I believe, the Cat in the Hat movie. Um, or yeah, the cat, well, the, really the book, but then there was the movie. So he used to call us that. And it just made me think of that because you were struggling with the first partner and then the second partner. And it's funny because when I, and when I've been trying to write my book, which has been on pause for a little while, sorry to any of my clients who have been waiting for this book to come out. It's not. It's not even close to being done. And I'm trying to write and describe one partner and then, well, this partner does this to this other partner. I should just call them thing one and thing two. Thing one and (laughs) thing two. I like it. I like that. Let's go with thing one and thing two. It's hilarious. Or Tweedledee and Tweedledum. That's what my dad Right, and my dad used to call us that as well. He had lots of nicknames for us. Did all dads have nicknames like this for their kids? I think so. Also Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I wonder, because my dad had four kids, sometimes I wonder if this was just like a dad form of endearment or if he was just like <laughs> lazy or like would literally forget which kid was which. So he'd be like, you, white eyes. My dad to right. this day will say, you, white eyes. And I think honestly he'll forget because he'll confuse me with my brother and be like, hey, Rick. And I'm like, no. <laughs> wrong, wrong son. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He does. He's been doing that for twenty years. <laughs> it's like um, I saw on social media. My sister had to send this to me. My sister and I will send each other like memes and videos. I think I think a lot of sisters do this, but she sends a meme where it's basically just a dialogue of a dad hearing the daughter or or child ask about you know hey my friend alessandra and the dad goes who but the dad's known alessandra for like 10 years but yeah. they're like who who 
That's like literally my best friend, dad. Like, you know who that is. <laughs> and it's like, it's almost like he just did it to piss you off only. Yeah. A lot of times I would roll my eyes and walk away. All right. Whatever. It's like, it's like the guy that I love on TikTok. He's probably on Instagram too. Um, I don't know what his name is, but he impersonates his wife all the time. And every time something happens, he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> That's how I feel about some of the things that my dad used to say. But nevertheless, so you have two partners and they get into conflict and they go through this cycle of not being able to repair their conflict so much to the point where they their relationship struggles and suffers and they don't know if they want to continue on in the relationship anymore. So I was just focusing on something that is essentially the way that I run my practice, which there's a modality called emotionally focused therapy. It's really the way that we were trained at Somatica. Emotionally focused therapy is extremely effective because couples get into this, and a lot of the modalities can be effective. And go back and listen to one of our episodes, one of our other episodes about how to find a therapist, and you will understand. And I'll reiterate this now: the practitioner is more important than the modality. But I do believe in certain modalities for certain reasons, and for couples. I really believe in emotionally focused therapy because it is really focused on the attachment and the relationship between the couple, the safety that you feel emotionally with your partner. Couples get into these cycles of disconnection because they they don't feel understood by their partner and they continuously argue about the details of a situation. And so when you have some kind of conflict with your partner, let's say I'm going to make something up. Um, you decided that you were going to go over a friend's house together as a couple on Saturday night and you prepped your partner okay, I made this plan with Sarah and John, we're going over. And then it's Friday and you're talking about your weekend and you say to your partner, hey, just remember we're going over with Sarah and John and they roll their eyes and they're like, I don't want to do that. I want to relax this weekend. I have no desire to do that. And so what ensues a lot of times in relationships is we will go back and forth with the details of what happened. Well, I told you on Tuesday that this is the plan that I made. And the other partner says, you know, well, no, you didn't. And you didn't explain in enough detail that this was a hard set plan. And I don't know, we could make up any sort of detail to be of, of importance in the conflict to the couple. But when we look at conflicts in a different way, and understand what's happening beneath those conflicts and beneath the details, you can really, you have the opportunity to connect more skillfully to your partner and more intimately to your partner. And you can start to resolve or really dissolve some of those conflicts and they don't, they end up not being conflicts in the future. Right, the, These same things are always going to come up because you and your partner are two different people, but you're not going to look at those in the same way. If we, if we looked at the focus of this 
conflict that I just gave the example of. Emotionally instead, you might look at how the wife put in lots of effort and energy to plan out a nice evening for them with her friend for a double date. They haven't seen them in a while. Maybe she was taking into account the fact that, you know, her and her husband or partner had really made a pact to be more social with their friends over the next few months. So there's like mental labor going into that and and time and just energy. And then maybe the other partner who didn't want to go, what was really going on for them was that they felt like they didn't have enough alone time with their partner who made this plan. And maybe they, you know, blocked out the plan that the other partner had made because they were feeling in such a deficit and they were struggling with the lack of sex or the lack of time that they were going to have together. When you really look at it that way, there is nothing to argue with. Like you can't argue with what's going on emotionally for me because we each have our own experience and it's so much easier to integrate like compassion and empathy and understanding into you know partners who were really talking about i'm just sad because i feel like we never see each other there's nothing really there to argue with nevertheless partners absolutely do argue about that all the time and it is very annoying <laughs> why are you arguing with your partner saying they love you <laughs> and they just want you like what is there to argue with but it it doesn't it doesn't get us anywhere to really argue about the details and so in moments where you start to go into conflict and you start to see that you're going down that path that you always go down to stop and really name it as we're we're in an emotional conversation right now aren't we and that can give you you know this pause that you so badly need or else you just kind of get on this track where the argument goes on and on and on. So it's Friday night. She says, hey, remember, we're going to go see Bob and Jill tomorrow. And then I say, I'm really tired. I don't really want to go. Like, I just want to stay home for the weekend. And then she says, but I planned this. I, did, I got into this. I, I wanted to see them. We haven't seen them in months. Like, what do you mean? You, you, you said yes. Like, we should be going. Why would you not? Why would you do that? And then I could say, okay, I think we're entering into a conflict here. And then I can express, honestly, I just want to spend time with you. That's, that's kind of why I'm upset about this. But okay, so that's, is that a possible reaction right there? And then you yeah. can hash through it. So I really think that the partner who is most able to, so the partner who, because so, some of these things that are fairly simple can move into somebody being triggered as we were kind of talking about before, like I have very simple examples of arguments that I've gotten into with my husband where I've gotten triggered. But when you look back at the origin, it's like, what, what is so emotionally charged about that for you? At the root, it's never the thing. It's the meaning behind the thing. But really for the person who is more able-bodied in that moment to recognize when their other partner is getting really upset or frustrated or angry or disappointed. So if I say to you, remember we're doing this, 
and you say, I don't want to do that. And then I'm like, I just plan, I spent so much time planning this out for us. Then you as the partner say, this, you're upset right now. This is something that's really important to you, isn't it? I'm, you know, and I would as much as possible, you know, I think a lot of times people will shy away from saying I'm sorry because they think that if I say I'm sorry, then it means that I was wrong about something. But I, I highly advise people to say, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like I must've, you know, I, I caught you off guard with that. Or, uh, maybe, maybe I said something that hurt your feelings. I, that wasn't my intention, but can you help me understand why you're upset? People's guard will come down immediately when you say that kind of thing to them. And it's like partners will like, they will be in a courtroom I use a lot as an example. It's like they're on two opposing teams. But when we're really focused on emotions here, we're on the same team. It's really important for partners to protect each other. Like, we are going to weather the storm together. And one of my clients brought something up that, you know, sometimes it's hard to to really focus on this, but I think it's important. It's us against the world as a couple. It's us against the problem. It's not me and you against each other. But whenever anyone sees their part, I just think that this would make the world such a better place if anyone sees their other partner if thing one sees thing two upset about anything, go to them. And I think this is where like the part of my practice is very, um, I kind of link it to the Gottmans. You know, I hope I'm correct in saying that, but uh, John and Julie Gottman, they're two therapists, they're married and they have written, you know, several books. They've created courses, card games. They have a, a whole institute called the Gottman Institute. The way that some of their stuff can seem kind of cheesy to a lot of people, right? It's not like super sexy. It's very practical and methodical. And I think that one of the pieces of that that I really love that I always try to bring to my practice is if something's wrong with my partner, this is my problem too. And in our very individualistic society, we're like, I'll do me and you do you and we'll just come together as two awesome individuals and it'll work. But the reality is that it's just not true. We rely on each other. Like we need each other, you know? And I think for people who have experienced trauma, there's other issues that come into play. But when we when we look at our relationships like this is a responsibility that i have like this is something that i signed up for this is my person you know because if we're in an emergent situation we're going to immediately run to our partner right but we don't look at some of the day-to-day stuff as important when our partner's really struggling with something we're like that's not important to me but instead how do we just say hey this is important to me even if it's not important to you just be like this is important to me because this is important to you. Um, you don't even have to say that. You could just say, this is important to me. You could say those simple words and not say anything else after that. It's it's often the these side comments that are made of like, who cares? Get over right. it. All right. How can I fix it for you? How can I help you? Chill out. Chill out, right? Can you, you're, you're raising your voice. Can you lower your voice? What if we heard instead, you're mad. 
you're yelling right now because you're mad at me. If people could just say some of those, some of these things to each other, I think that relationships would be so much healthier, honestly. Instead of like policing our partners, like uh, you're toxic, oh, you're crazy, you're abusive. What good are we doing? Right? It's like if you think about children and like a teacher in a classroom, the more a teacher is like cracking down on a student that's struggling with something or having behavioral issues, the more that student feels ostracized and put in a corner by themselves. And so as a partner, if that's what we're doing to our other partner, it's not going to bring us back together. It's not going to make our relationship healthier. So we always have to think about what's the goal here? Is our goal to come back together? You're, you're saying that if, you, if your mindset is when we enter into a conflict, I should think about us rather than me at all times. Yeah, in a conflict, because I think with that comes this freedom of being an individual, right? Like if if we're partners to each other and you support me and you're like, I'm in this with you, then I feel like a lot better going out on my own and doing things that I want to do for myself. And I also feel a lot better letting you do the things that you need to do as well because we feel secure with each other. So like hobbies that we go want to do or that we want to go do, friends that we have that we want to spend time with, if I already know that my partner cares about me and they reinforce that for me on a regular basis, it's so much easier to let our partners be individuals. But people have insecurities and those insecurities I believe really come relationally. I mean, I you know, I was listening to this podcast where these mental health professionals were talking about how like our brains are wired for connection. We develop in relationship. Everything is social. Like that's how our brains develop and work. And so when we think about how important relationships are, when we're in our relationship with our long-term partner or our spouse, the way that we feel secure or insecure in that relationship is going to drive everything else. So if we have a history of partners who don't care or partners who have cheated on us or parents who haven't uh, met our needs, well, yeah, going into our next relationship, it's going to be challenging. You know, going into any of our future relationships, basically how deeply that's ingrained into us is going to affect our ability to show up in a secure way or not. And so just, you know, being a good partner, it, I think it's a healthy influence on the other partner as well, because not everyone's going to do it perfectly. And I think that something that's kind of coming to mind for me right now is like the partners who are like, well, I just try so hard to be a good partner and I don't feel like my partner reciprocates that. And I think that we should save that for another episode of like, you know, yeah. I'm doing everything that I can do. And, and so I would first want to understand what do you mean by that? If that's really what you think. What, what do you mean by that? So I can kind of analyze that in a way and say, because everything's, you know, subjective. Everything's subjective. You could think that you're doing a great job, but not actually have relationship skills. So I think that's important. But there are cases where people grow and their partner is not growing with them. And then the question is what to do. So maybe that's what we can talk about next time. 